This morning's scripture comes from Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, and strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants. Let your glorious power to to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. Before I preach, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update on RUF at UC Irvine. Thank you so much for supporting us and and praying for what we do at UC Irvine. One of the beauties of being Presbyterian, the beautiful things of being Presbyterian, is that we we lock arms with other churches and we we strategize together, we pray for one another, we support one another. And the way RUF at UCI began... What was in our Southern California Presbytery, 20-some churches, prayed and decided we wanted a missionary sent to UC Irvine. And so the churches, including Trinity, sent me to be your missionary or your pastor at UC Irvine. So the way we think about it is that Trinity has a ministry at UC Irvine, and it's called RUF. And so I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on there, but also I wanted to say this. Um, there are 20 churches, 20-some churches in our presbytery that um, are praying and care about what happens at UC Irvine. But Trinity is one of the three churches that is most invested into what happens at RUF at UC Irvine. So it's a big deal. So thank you for, for having an active ministry at UC Irvine. The first picture I wanted to show you is what we do on Wednesday nights. So Wednesday nights we have our, we call it our large group meeting. And from 5.30 to 6, we eat dinner together outside. And so that, that's a picture. We, we order food from a local establishment, and we will stand there and we eat. And so it's a way for students to get to know each other, to build community, and also for them to invite their friends. And then uh, after we, we do dinner, this next picture is, is what RUF looks like. So they're in small groups right now. Typically what happens is 
we'll, we'll, we'll enter in, we'll do an icebreaker. Um, I'll speak from the Bible for 20, 25 minutes, and then we'll break up into small groups and we'll talk about uh, some of the questions uh, that we've, went, or what, what I talked about. Uh, this quarter, I've been trying to be very practical um, with, with, where, um, with where we've been going with the scripture. And so what, what I've done is we've talked about the idea of purpose. And so there's a Gallup poll that would say um, the, the number one indicator for happiness in a, purpose's, in, in a person's life is not whether they have friends, that's important. It's not where they live, that's important. It's not even their health, that's important. But the number one indicator is whether you have purpose in life, according to Gallup. And so we've been talking about purpose. And so apart from Christianity, apart from God creating us and giving us direction and ultimately sending Jesus, how can you have purpose? And so we've tried to connect our students to seeing the purpose. And so we've been in John chapter 1 a few weeks. The last couple of weeks I've talked about how can we know God's will for our life. And then the next RUF we have, pastor, your pastor, Pastor Eric Chappelle, is going to be speaking at RUF as well. In this next slide, uh, we have, uh, this is a Bible study. We have five Bible studies this quarter. We're going, all of the five Bible studies are going through the book of Proverbs. So some of these Bible studies, we have staff who will lead them. We have two other uh, females, one staff. Some of them, we have students who will lead them as well. This next slide is something we're very excited about. So this is a fraternity house. And when we, came, when we arrived on campus, we identified a couple areas where students were being underserved with the gospel. There was, there was very little gospel presence. One was commuters, which is why we have our RUF meetings starting at 5.30. Because there are 27,000 undergraduate students, about 13,550% are traveling 20 miles or more. So it's a commuter population. But most of the meetings were later in the evening, and so we... We have our Bible studies. We have our Wednesday night earlier in the day. The second area that we looked at as, as need for the gospel ministry was fraternities and sororities. Third, uh, there's 3,000 students who were in fraternities and sororities on campus. No gospel ministry to any of the Greek system, to the Greek system. So we've been working the last year to meet students, to connect. And after a year of praying and trying to connect and, and find where Christian students were, we have now a Greek uh, Bible study. So it's very exciting. Um, and so there's probably four or five fraternity sororities who are represented in that picture. And then the next slide is the last slide. And this was a group of students that we took to Catalina Island in April. These are all UCI students. And so all that's to say is thank you very much for um, all that you've invested, uh, sending your pastor to teach for us next week, um, supporting us, praying for us. Really appreciate it. Going to be in Psalm 90 this morning. Is it all right if I move this over? Okay. Going to be in Psalm 90 this morning, so you can probably be on the screen, but you can also look in the Bible in front of you. When I, was, when I was a kid, uh, my mom would send me out frequently to walk to the end of our driveway to get the newspaper. 
So I'd get the newspaper and I'd walk back into the house and I'd give it to mom. And mom would sit down at the table and she would open up the newspaper every morning to the exact same starting point. She would go to the obituaries. And I guess in small town, rural America, maybe this is what you do. You go to the obituaries. Some obituaries are pretty interesting to read. Um, I want to read you in a, a couple obituaries. This one's pretty funny. Uh, it's from Mary Ann Nolan, and she died May 15, 2016, at age 68. This is what her obituary said. Faced with the prospect of having to vote for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. Another humorous, another humorous obituary. This is from Harry Weatherby Stamps. He was born December 1932, and he died March of 2013. This is what his obituary said. Harry took fashion cues from no one. His signature everyday look was all his. A plain pocketed t-shirt designed by the fashion house Fruit of the Loom. His black label elastic waist shorts worn above the navel and sold exclusively at the Sam's Club on Highway 49. Some obituaries are, are pretty honest. This is Val Patterson's obituary. He was born March 27, 1953, and he died July 10, 2012. And Patterson actually wrote his own obituary. And at the end of his very long obituary, he felt the need to set the record straight on a couple of things. I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motorview Drive-In back in June of 1971. I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, I am really not a Ph.D. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan at the University of Utah, the girl working there put my receipt into the wrong stack. And two weeks later, a Ph.D. diploma came in the mail. I never actually even graduated with a bachelor's degree. Some obituaries are painful to hear. This is Leslie Ray Charping. She was born November 24th, 1942, and she died January 30th, 2017. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. No services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace. And no apologies to the family he tortured. Then there's this obituary. It's from a North Dakota paper. But this obituary has no date of birth nor date of death. It's the obituary of Douglas Legler, and I'll read it in full. Doug died. And that's it. Life is over. It comes and it goes. And just like Doug's obituary, life is short. Psalm 90 is a psalm about the brevity of life. It's the only psalm that's written by Moses. And this psalm is a prayer about death and about life. I'll pray, and then we'll look at this psalm. Father, would you be with us this morning as we think about death, as we think about life, as we think about important things this morning. Lord, would you help us to understand your word and what it is you are teaching us and helping us to understand about what it means to live well in this world that you made. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
In 2010, there was a song by a relatively unknown artist named Chris Allen. And his song, by the end of the year, made the Billboard Top 50 Songs of the Year. So it was a hit. Now, right under Chris Allen's song on the Billboard Top 50, the best songs of the year, was a song by Rihanna, and it was called Hard. And in the video, you've got Rihanna, and she's dressed in full military fatigues, and she's walking in the desert, which looks like it's the Middle East, maybe it's Afghanistan. And as she's singing, there are bullets that are flying past her left and right. There are bombs that are exploding all around her, and she's singing hard, that she is hard. And what she means by that is that she is immortal. She is unstoppable. Right underneath of Rihanna's song on Billboard's top 50 songs of the year for 2010, right underneath that song was a Jay-Z song who is also very famous. And Jay-Z's song was called Forever Young. And in the video, you have youth, you have young adults, and they're, they're playing sports, they're running back and forth, they're playing soccer, they're, they're dancing, they're celebrating. And Jay-Z sings, forever young, I want to be forever young. Do you want to live forever, 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 forever young, I want to be forever young. So to be hard is to be immortal, it's to be unstoppable. To be forever young, well, it's, it's what we long for, but it's not our experience. Our experience is what Chris Allen sings about in the song that was above, more popular than Rihanna and Jay-Z's song, and certainly more relatable. His song was titled, Gotta Live Like We Are Dying. I want to read some of the lyrics. He sings, yeah, we got to start looking at the hands of time we've been given. If this is all we got, then we got to start thinking. If every second counts on a clock that's ticking, got to live like we're dying. Then he sings, we only got 86,400 seconds in a day to turn it all around or to throw it all away. Got to live like we're dying. And in the video as Alan is singing, there's this huge digital clock, the the kind of clock that maybe you had on your nightstand in the 1990s. But this digital clock, it's 100 feet wide and it's 50 feet high. And as Alan is singing the song, Gotta Live Like We're Dying, you begin to realize that the clock that's behind Alan as he is singing is the clock of his life that even as he sings is ticking down. That's the image that Moses wants you to have When you come to Psalm 90, the clock of your life ticking down. Moses is at the point in his life when he writes Psalm 90, when there's not much time left in his life. And at the heart of this prayer, this prayer of Moses is death. But bookending the thoughts of death are life. Thoughts on life. And those are my two points this morning. Death. In life. I'll begin with death. The core of the prayer begins in verse 3. It's about death. It says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Well, the phrase returning to dust has a familiar ring to our ears. Moses is thinking about Genesis chapter 3 when God breaks the news to humanity that man would no longer be hard or forever young but experience physical decay and death. And he says in in chapter 3 of Genesis, God, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, 
till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Moses is reminding the people of God that the clock is ticking on our lives. So why would Moses' mind be on death, on his mortality here in Psalm 90? Well, most commentators believe that this psalm is written after the events of Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, we find the most difficult period in Moses' life. Numbers 20 begins with Moses' sister Miriam dying. After Miriam's death, God says to Moses, Moses, my people are thirsty. I want you to speak to the rock. And I want you to tell the rock to give water to my people. I want them to see that I am a God who provides for them in their need. God is wanting to show grace and mercy to his people, but Moses is frustrated. The people of God have been complaining against God and against Moses. And so Moses doesn't speak to the rock, showing forth God's grace and his kindness. But Moses takes the staff that God gives to him, and he strikes the rock, not once, but he strikes it a second time in anger. Of course, God provides water for the Israelites, but that's not what God wanted. And God says to Moses, Moses, you've sinned against me. I wanted my people to see my mercy and my grace. And so Moses, because of your grievous sin, you will not get to enter into the promised land. You will not step foot into the land of milk and honey. And this is what Moses had been waiting for for the last 40 years of his life. Then we come to the very end of this same chapter. And Moses' best friend, his ministry partner, Aaron, his brother, dies. So let me sum up up for you Numbers 20. Death, death, and death. So in Psalm 90, Moses becomes reflective about the end of life as he looks over his life and how fast his life has moved. In verses 4, 5, and 6, Moses gives us these word pictures about life and death. He begins in verse 4, and he says, A thousand years is like a single yesterday to God. And so he's given this comparison to the eternality of God, who, who he has no beginning and he has no end. And so a thousand years to God is like a single day. But for us, a thousand years, we can't even imagine what that's like. He, go, he continues in verse 4 and he says, life is like a watch in the night. Well, a watch in the night was during the night they would put a soldier who would guard the camp for the Israelites in case there was some kind of attack. And a watch would be four hours long. And Moses is saying, that's what life is like. It begins and shortly after that, it ends. He continues in verse 4 saying, life is like a flood. Now, certainly Moses has the Egyptians in mind and what's happened to them. When God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he brought them through the Red Sea. He pushes the the water up like walls. The Israelites go through the water. And then as the strong soldiers of Egypt follow the Israelites, trying to uh, get them to come back, God crashes the walls of water down on them. And these soldiers, strong in life, are now dead. That's what life is like, says Moses. In verse 5, he says, life is like a dream. You know, you have a dream at night. It feels so real. You wake up in the morning and you wonder, was it really real? And you realize it wasn't. 
that's what life is like, says Moses. It's like a dream, and then it's over. He continues in verse 5. He, he says, life is like grass. It's vibrant. It's green in the morning, but by the end of the day, it's fading, and it's brown. That's what life is like. For those of you who are under 20 years of age, I want you to go home today, and I want you to look at your baby pictures. And I want you to ask yourself, how did you go from that baby to where you are today? Just like that. And for some of you who were a little bit older, you're having your own babies now. Weren't you just at the eighth grade high school dance yesterday? And for some of you who are a little bit older, your babies are having their own babies, or they're about to shortly have their own babies. How did that happen? Weren't you just walking down the aisle with your spouse? Moses gives us one final picture in verse 10. He begins in verse 10 by saying that the years of our life will be 70 or 80. Now, this was a prophetic statement by Moses. Moses lived to be 120 years of age. Moses is the person who followed Moses, Joshua. He lived to be 110 years of age. 400 years later, King David died as an old man at age 70. Today, Americans live to be 78. The world average is 72. Moses' point being this. Life is short. Then he finishes verse 10 by saying this. Life is filled with toil and trouble. And then we fly away. And the picture here is, is looking at the clouds outside. And then you see a bird and it comes in your view. And your eyes move from the clouds to the bird. And you follow the bird until you see it no more. That's what life is like, Moses says, for us. It's in view and then it's gone. Some people will say that the Bible is uninteresting to them because it seems so impractical. But Psalm 90 is not impractical. It speaks to our lives. It speaks directly to how we came to be and where we are going. We know that we are not hard like Rihanna claims. We know that we are not forever young like Jay-Z touts. Something has entered into this world that has made us fragile, frail, and full of imperfections. Are you familiar with the cartoon Peanuts? You know, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Woodstock and Lucy Linus and the gang. Well, everyone told Charles Schultz that Peanuts would not work back in the 50s because it was created during the time, the golden age of comics, when the superhero comics ruled the day. These were comic strips like Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, Flash and Captain America. These superheroes who were beautiful, they were bold, they were strong, they were intelligent, they were powerful, they were flawless. They could jump tall buildings in a single bound and run faster than a speeding bullet. But the Peanuts characters were very different. They were super flawed. Remember Charlie Brown, he's moody and he's brooding, and at age 12, he's already balding. His sister Lucy is so mean. Every time he goes to kick the football, she pulls it away, tricks him every time. You remember Linus, what is he, 13 years old, and he still has his blanket. He's so immature. And, of course, Schroeder, remember he would play the piano all the time because he didn't like being around people. 
And Peppermint Patty, she was so domineering, you could take her for about five minutes and then you had to be done with her. And Peanuts became popular because their characters were flawed and full of imperfections, just like us. The kind of characters that we could relate to. So in this prayer, lamenting the brevity of life, Moses takes it a step deeper, and he's going to the root cause of why our lives are so short. Why are we fragile, frail, and full of imperfections? Why is death everyone's reality? And for Moses, the purpose, the reason behind all of this was sin. Our rebellion against God. This is what Moses says in verse 7. He says, we are brought to an end by your anger. The brevity of our life is due to our sin. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in your presence. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. Our sin leads to death. If you've ever wondered where people get the phrase, when someone dies, they passed away, it's from here in Psalm 90. But what we don't say is they passed away under the wrath of God. Moses is saying the clock is ticking on our lives because of our sin. This, this year, I saw the Lion King for the first time in my life. Never seen it before. Hard to believe, I know. My daughter's school play uh, did the Lion King. And so maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But Mufasa, he is the Lion King. And he's killed by his brother, Scar. And so Scar now takes the throne. But Scar then frames the rightful heir, the son of Mufasa, Simba, for his father's death. Simba eventually grows up and he comes back to the kingdom where Scar, his uncle, is ruling. And so at one scene, Scar backs Simba, the rightful heir, all the way up against to the edge of the cliff. And below the cliff, there are these flames that are firing up. And so Scar has Simba right where he wants him. And then he says this, hmm, where have I seen this before? Hmm, let me think. Oh, yes, I remember. This is exactly the way your father looked before he died. And here's my little secret. I killed Mufasa. It's at that moment, if you've seen the movie or if you've seen the play, that everything inside of you wants Simba to rise up and to beat down Scar. Every muscle of justice that is in you longs for justice to be dealt with. For Scar. But what does this longing for justice mean when we want justice against the rebel, when we're the one who has rebelled against God? Moses knew when it came to matters of life or death, justice was not on our side. Because where there is sin, there's this pattern that we see in the Bible of exile or banishment or a forced leaving of home. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God pushed them outside of the garden. For the Israelites, with Moses, when they were in the wilderness, they would take their hands, the priests, and they would place it on a goat, symbolizing the sins of Israel being placed on the goat. And they would send the goat outside of the camp. 
when Israel sinned against God in the days of Judges, when everyone did what was right in, the eyes of, in their own eyes, God sent a drought. And they had to leave their home and go to places like Moab where we see the book of Ruth. After periods of rebellion against the Lord, the Lord would send the Babylonians or the Assyrians and push the Israelites again out of their home because of their sin. And Moses in Psalm 90 is saying because of our sin, we will leave this world and we will leave the bodies which have been our home. But what I want you to hear in Psalm 90 is the promise of life. There's a promise of life. And of course, that promise points to Jesus, who left his home willingly to take on human flesh. Jesus was born not in a home, but he was born in a manger. And when he had a home in Bethlehem, he had to leave it before he turned two even because Herod was wanting to kill the babies. And in his ministry, Jesus, talking about his home, said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He has no home. And Jesus, who had a home of sorts in Jerusalem because of his claim to be God in the flesh, was forced outside of his home, Jerusalem, and was crucified on a hill called Calvary. And Jesus lost his home. He left his home in heaven for you so that you might have a home. And so in verse 11, when Moses asked this question, which sounds like a rhetorical question to us, but it's not anymore. Who has considered the power of your anger and your wrath? God, who understands your holy hatred of sin? It's Jesus. Jesus understands the full extent of God's wrath and anger. He took it upon himself on the cross so that you might have a home, so that you and I wouldn't have to take it. And that's good because when we think about our home in this world, it's not the home that we long for all the time, is it? This home that we live in here sometimes can be painful and not feel very welcoming. And we have this longing inside of us for a home. And we think maybe one day if I can get the family that I want, then I can have the home that I long for. Or if I could just find the right city or place or area or state to live in, then I'll be content. Or if I can just find a great house, then I'll finally be satisfied. But those things crumble and they rot and they disappoint. Do not many people complain about their families? Do not many people, uh, are they not frustrated with where they live even though they picked to live there? And even after finding a new place to live, after a month or two, you begin to go back to the same discontented person. All of which points to the fact that this world, Southern California, Orange County, is not our home. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Though being hungry does not prove I will get food, it proves that there is such a thing as food. Do fish complain about the sea for getting wet? Then why don't you feel at home here? Real home is somewhere else. And this is what Moses knew. He began this psalm by saying in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
And Moses knew what it was to have a home. His home was in the Lord. It was in the Lord that Moses, it's in the Lord that we find our true peace, our true contentment, where we are safe, where we can be ourselves, where we can be seen for who we are and be entirely accepted. Jesus is the home that we long for. I want to leave you with seven applications about death and life. I'll go through these quick. Number one, come to Jesus. If you are not trusting in Jesus, there is no promise of life for you. Only a promise of death. If you were here, maybe you're visiting. If you've been coming and you've been hearing and you've been thinking about what it means to be a Christian, it's Jesus alone. It's putting your hope that he has taken away your curse and what you've deserved. Come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Secondly, come home to Jesus. Where does Jesus dwell? Jesus dwells with his people in his church. And so if you are visiting and, and you've not really settled on a church, if you've been here sporadically and you're sort of checking out Trinity, fully invest yourself in the Trinity. This is where the people of Jesus live. And so Jesus dwells here. And so if you want to be close to Jesus, here's where to be close to Jesus. Give yourself to this church. Third, pray. Pray for wisdom in how to use the time that you have left on this earth. This is what Moses is asking for in verse 12. When he asks God to teach us to number our days. So whether you have two years left, whether you have 22 years left, whether you have 52 years left, who knows what you have. You need to be praying regularly that you would not waste the years that you have remaining on your life. Even if you look back and you look at your past and you say, this is maybe not the way I wanted to use my time in serving the Lord. Look forward and think about how you want to use your time with what you have left. Number four, we need to be very clear about what is the work of the Lord. Because God's work should determine our work. In other words, what we give ourselves to with the remaining time that we have left on this world, it's going to be connected to God's work. Verse 16, he says, let your work be shown to your servant. So the question is, what is the work of God or what is God's work? There's a lot to say here, but I just want to give you two broad categories for God's work. His creation and his redemption. We call, the, in the Bible, people will call these mandates. The cultural mandate or the creation mandate and the evangelistic mandate. And the cultural mandate is simply this in, in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so it's our ruling and caring for God's world that's the mandate that he gives to believers. The second thing, and this is very broad again, is the evangelistic mandate. It's at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
as you think about the remaining years that you have, and if you want to use them wisely, finding your efforts somehow in the cultural mandate, ruling over God's creation, or wanting to see people not connected to Jesus and his church, these are two great places to connect to. And it's a huge topic, but one of the ways, if you want to spend a great hour, I would encourage you to ask either Pastor Eric or the other Pastor Eric to grab coffee or lunch and to say, help me to think through how can I give myself with my remaining years to these two things and, and process that. It matters. Number five, focus on the next generation. Invest into them. It's what Moses says in verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. But then he says this, and your glorious power to their children. As Moses is leaving this world, he's concerned about the younger generation. And so any investment that you make as a church into your youth is a wise investment. Caring for your kids, praying for your kids, volunteering for the youth group. Or serving the youth of your church, important things. You've already invested in UC Irvine in college ministry. Continue to invest into the youth of the church and the youth of, of the city. Number six, and uh, Pastor Eric talked about this earlier, uh, but life is too short to complain. This is a great week to think about giving thanks. Um, this life is beautiful, it's hard. But there are some beautiful things. Rejoice in the beautiful and try to be a change agent for, that, for the thing you're tempted to complain about. And finally, the last thing, verse 17. Pray that God would establish the work of our hands. And he says it twice. He ends it saying, it, God, would you establish the work of our hands? And so whatever you give yourself to, after serving, after a day's work, after investing into your children, pray that God would use what you've done for his glory. Let's pray. Father, this life that you've given to us is valuable. And we have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, we feel the consequences of death and sin all around us. Lord, we feel... And we look at pictures and we see time is changing us. And Lord, at the same time, you've given us this beautiful thing called life. And you've given Jesus to us who can secure eternal life for us that we might thrive and we find our home in Jesus. Lord, help us to find our home, our satisfaction in Jesus and not in the things of this world. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to use the remaining time that we have for your glory. Thank you that you left your home so that we might have one. In Jesus' name, amen.